Well, it's been a while since we put out one of these for what it's worth episodes. <laughs> I think I was just looking a little bit ago and it was April 1 and that wasn't even a regular episode. That was kind of our experiment episode about um, seven habits of highly effective people. <laughs> and the previous one to that was back in March 16. So it's been over a month since our last regular for what it's worth episode. Mm -hmm. uh, Sean, I think we might have let, <laughs> I think we might have let our patrons down. We told them we would try to keep putting out stuff every couple of weeks. Yeah. And I don't know that we quite did that. No, not but, quite. Uh, anyway, I don't think anybody has dropped their subscription. Um, <laughs> so um, so I, I think either either uh, they want to keep supporting us or like what oftentimes happens, you keep paying for something and you don't realize you're paying for it. Nah. <laughs> well, let's not remind them. Yeah, kind of like paying for Amazon Prime or uh, <laughs> Spotify, and you haven't used it for three months, but you're still paying for it because right. you have to look at your credit card statement to actually see that you're still getting charged for something. So <laughs> whatever is going on, we thank you for sticking with us. Um, as kind of a, Sean and I were talking last week, and we were thinking to kind of make it up to you all. What we're hoping to do is to put out about two episodes per week. They're going to be a little bit shorter, so it's quicker for us to record and quicker to edit, so it's more doable for us. And we're hoping to do that for the next number of weeks, maybe, I don't know, the next three or four weeks mm -hmm. to kind of make up for lost time. So hopefully you'll get your money's worth, even though you had to wait a little bit. Yeah, and uh, the the episodes that, that we're talking about are for what it's worth episodes. We do plan to start the machine up again of the looking over life episodes i have one that i'm working on editing right now so um maybe later this week we'll be able to get that out so these will be outside of the the looking over life episodes beyond the one that we have in edit our next one to record is the quiverful episode we had done a shorter one in for what it's worth a while back in December of last year. Is that right, James? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a while. And so we had talked then about wanting to expand some of the topics that we had uh, talked about in that episode. And we're just going to bring it up here again, giving you all an opportunity. If you have any uh, opinions or feedback you wanted to share on that December for what it's worth episode, or if you'd just like to give your opinion about the the topic of families, family size, and effect on culture, effect on uh, whether it's subculture of the church or a broader culture. Uh, we'd like to hear from you, so we're just giving you that uh, that opportunity again before we get to the recording. And in these For What It's Worth episodes, the ones that we're going to be doing over the next little while, we're going to try to make them short and sweet for you all, but we're going to try to pack a, a lot into them. And so I know that you all enjoy James's science thing, which we had left out of a few of our Looking Over Life episodes. So we're going to bring it back in for you here on the For What It's Worth. So James, you can jump in, tell us something science-y. <laughs> yeah, the last six weeks I was at Faith Builders teaching a science class. I'll talk more about that later. One of the things we learned about was, was about sound waves. If you Google what was the loudest sound ever, 
Sean, I think you've seen the notes, unfortunately, so you already know what the answer to that is. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't look at them. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So uh, I, I purposely didn't look at your notes. <laughs> okay. All right. So what caused the loudest sound ever? Do you have any ideas? No, I assumed that it was a tree that fell in the woods when no one was there. <laughs> yeah. When Sean doesn't know something, he has some like random random sarcastic <laughs> thing that he says that's something i've learned about him after learning to know him for the last number of years uh, no th- as far as we know the loudest sound ever and it's it's a little bit hard to say what was the loudest sound ever there's some man-made sounds that are really loud so rockets launching uh, atomic bombs exploding but supposedly the loudest sound ever was when an island in indonesia called krakatoa basically exploded in 1883, so it was a volcanic eruption. Oh. Yeah, it was um, just as far as the amount of energy release. So sound waves are just a way to carry energy mm-hmm. through, I mean, it, it could be through the air, but it could also be carried through water, through other substances. This was carried through the air. So it was about 13,000 times the yield or the amount of energy from the bomb dropped on Hiroshima, Japan. And four times the energy of the Tsar Bomba, which is the most powerful bomb ever, uh, was ever tested. So I think they maybe built ones that were more powerful than this bomb, but this was the most powerful one that was ever tested. I found different numbers here. I think this might have actually come from Wikipedia, so I'm not sure how accurate it is. But supposedly sailors that were about 40 miles away had their eardrums ruptured by the sound and it was heard about 3,000 miles away and sound waves can travel pretty long distances Um, you know you've maybe heard like a rumble of something from far away the uh, the sound the sound wave actually went around the world about three times wow so it the sound traveled from you know traveled in a circular pattern around the world so it went to the east yeah some of it went to the east some of it went to the west those sound waves passed each other on the other side of the earth and kept going and then passed each other again back where the explosion had occurred. So they went around the earth multiple times. So there were some different instruments that actually heard like seven seven um, explosions in a sense. Oh, now wow. these, by the time they got on the other side of the earth, they were quiet enough um, that they weren't probably something you could really hear uh, or really think of as a noise, but they were detectable by instruments. Hmm. Volcanic eruptions often throw huge amounts of volcanic ash and gases in the atmosphere. Right. One of the things that they throw in the atmosphere is sulfur dioxide, which reacts with water in the atmosphere to form sulfuric acid, which does a really good job of, re- of uh, reflecting sunlight. So it, it, uh, it threw all this stuff in the atmosphere that reflected sunlight, so it actually dropped the global temperature by about a degree Fahrenheit. Hmm. It's about a half degree Celsius. Not only was there sound and there was climate change caused by this volcanic eruption, there was also, they think at least 40,000 people were killed by tsunamis Hmm. produced by the eruption, but we think that there was probably even more. That's just kind of the lower, that's that's the number we know were killed. Of course, this is the largest one, or this is the one of the largest ones that was ever recorded then just in the last couple months, did you hear about the volcanic eruption in Tonga? No, I don't, in the uh, I don't the recall. southern Pacific. Yeah, so it's um, 
It's a small chain of islands that are east of New Zealand, I think. It's maybe close to Fiji. Okay. It's in the Southern Pacific. There's not much down there, but just a couple little tiny islands. And it was a huge eruption that was not nearly as big as Krakatoa, but it was still quite large. It was heard thousands of miles away, and they actually measured the pressure wave from the sound. So sound is is carried through the air as a pressure wave, Mm -hmm. and they actually measure that pressure wave in the United States. Some of the uh, weather stations are set up to measure pressure, and so they could actually, by watching the change in pressure, they could actually see the pressure wave travel across the United States, which was uh, 3,000 miles away, 4,000 miles away, something like that. That's incredible. And the this island that exploded in the late 1800s, it was, um, I don't know how to say, merely a volcano. Like there was no mm-hmm. no other explanation. It just, boom. Yeah, that's it. Huh. Mm-hmm. That is incredible. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things about the volcanic eruption in Tonga, there is a the main island in Tonga has people on it. Now, the island where the eruption occurred was much smaller, and it was so active that nobody, I don't know that anybody has ever really lived on it. Uh, from what I understand, nobody was killed, which is which is very good. But the notable thing about this particular eruption is it was the first one to be caught by satellites. So the largest uh, major eruption caught by satellites. So you can actually see the uh, the pressure wave you can see it uh, caught by satellites. It's quite fascinating to uh, to see that travel travel through the atmosphere. So I'll I'll drop something in the show notes with a video that talks a little bit about it. Hmm. So you can you can see that there's a really fascinating video by Scott Manley, YouTuber that does videos about space flight and science, and he he did a video about that. That sounds really intriguing. So one of the reasons that we have not been recording is because you've been away and I've been away and uh, we're both kind of coming home again after some of our trips. And we know that you were at uh, Faith Builders. You said you were teaching science. Why don't you give us a quick summary or yeah, some of the highlights of what your, what your teaching was like there? Yeah, it was a what would be called a survey of science course. I did not teach the entire course. I just taught part of it. Mm-hmm. I taught the physics and chemistry portion. And it, it it's a class for all the students there. So there is the, the FBCS, Faith Builders Christian School, which is the 1 through 12 school there. But then there is the FBTI, which is the Faith Builders Training Institute that is a two-year. Uh, there's, a, there's a number of different two-year programs. So there is TAP, which is Teacher's Apprenticing Program. And that is for teacher apprenticing, for training teachers. So they have a particular uh, track that they do. There is general studies, which is kind of preparation for students before they go to further further education in, in a four-year college. Some of the classes uh, with different colleges, they can actually be used as credits for different colleges. And then there is the Christian ministries, which is training for which is training for Christian ministries. So those are the three different tracks that there are. There are some one-year students that are just there taking some classes they're interested in for just one year, but most of the students are there for two years. And all the students that take the two-year programs, they must take 
this particular class, and it's just an overview of science. It's not meant to teach you anything really in depth. Mm -hmm. It's meant mostly as to familiarize yourself with it, maybe more science education than you got when you were in high school, uh, and then also to where you can, uh, one of the main objectives of the course is where you can read read news articles and different types of media that talk about science and you can you can understand a little bit of what's going on you can you can basically interpret some of the science that we encounter on a day-to-day basis okay that's part of what the purpose is then for the tap students there is also a lab component where they have to do lab experiments and write lab reports and it's it's much more technical and that is to to kind of teach them how labs work so that way when they go on to teach science, which you know most of them will if they teach school, that they have some basic understanding of of how to teach science labs and the purpose of science labs and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So in in the labs that's where you would like blow up miniature islands. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I did do demonstrations. So I would lecture from yeah, just uh they were supposed to read the textbook and then I would I would lecture and basically take what they had read and condense it down to the the core ideas and explain different things, hopefully in a way that would make sense to them. And then they would have opportunities for questions. And I would also do demonstrations. So if I was explaining something about sound waves, I would do a demonstration that would show how sound waves work or how they move through the air. So sound waves are different than what we often think of as waves. Most waves we think of are like ocean waves. They're called transverse waves, which means they move up and down relative mm-hmm. to the direction of their travel. So if, they're, if it's moving toward you, it's moving up and down as well. Mm-hmm. Sound waves are what are called longitudinal waves, which means they do have movement, but it's in the direction that it's moving. Mm-hmm. And with sound waves, you have, instead of having a, a wave like an ocean wave, uh, which... <laughs> Uh, the listeners can't see this, but I'm moving my hands to show the, the wave moving up and down. Okay, <laughs> It helps me think through it. Instead of doing that, what it does is it kind of compresses the air. So there's, there's uh, like moving out from my voice currently, there's an area of the air where the sound particles are compressed closer together. Mm-hmm. And then right behind that is an area that where it is, where the air particles are more spread out. And supposedly there is an upper limit to the to the loudest sounds you can have as far as decibels, because you can keep compressing the air, but eventually the place where the sound is, the air particles are spread out, will become a vacuum. Oh, okay, yeah. So basically, there's an upper limit to the loudness of a sound, which I found kind of interesting. Huh. So yeah, I can I can explain things like that by using different demonstrations. Uh, the slinky is a great way to to illustrate the difference between transverse waves and longitudinal waves. Mm-hmm. And I won't try to explain how to do that, but you can shake it up and down and push it back and forth, and <laughs> you can see the waves travel through the slinky, so that's kind of interesting. <laughs> okay. I mean, probably what I enjoyed most about the class is is just being able to just totally nerd out about science and just kind of share some of my passion for the subject. It's not something just in regular conversation that I can start nerding out about this sort of thing. So <laughs> to basically be given a job and say, your job is to nerd out about science and make it interesting. Well, that's, <laughs> that's just a pretty good job. Yeah. <laughs> so that was probably what I enjoyed most about it. And, 
there were some people that it didn't matter how enthusiastic I got, they still didn't really like the class because, I mean, they all had to take it. Mm-hmm. So there were some people that didn't really love the class, and I could kind of tell that. But I had a lot of really positive feedback by the end of my time there of students that really appreciated some of the stuff I shared. And, and it wasn't like I was planning out, hey, I'm going to talk about these particular things, although sometimes I did. Sometimes just an idea would come to me about sound waves or electromagnetic radiation, and I would I would talk about how that applies to real life or some interesting example of that, and hopefully students enjoyed that. That's that's my most enjoyable part of teaching. Did you fail the students who were were grumpy and non enthusiastic? <laughs> no, I did not. Although <laughs> I did have a couple students that may have failed themselves by taking. <laughs> By not doing a very good job on the exam. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I enjoyed teaching, but uh, probably what I enjoyed almost more than anything was talking to the instructors. So you have a bunch of people up there who are very, very much involved in education, mm-hmm. and that's just that's just their life. So it was fun to talk to some of them and get some ideas. There was another guy there who was also helping to teach the class and he and I had a lot of fun talking about different aspects of science and uh, just talking about things that just your average person that I talked to on, on a regular basis would not be interested in, but he thought it was, it was a lot of fun to talk about. So that was probably what I enjoyed almost more than even teaching. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about getting together with people who have similar goals in life than you do and similar interests and talking about some of those that really is it's it's really encouraging and it really gets you kind of fired up and uh, gives you a lot of energy to continue on with with whatever you're studying or whatever you're interested in because yeah it's just not much fun to to not have anybody else that has similar interests to you yeah exactly Sean I think you have uh I think the format we're going to be doing with these episodes is roughly I'll have a science thing, then we'll take turns giving like a little mini topic or something like that. And then the last one is going to be Sean's uh, Wikipedia article of the week. <laughs> so, Sean, what, what's your Wikipedia article that you have? Uh, I want to talk about Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci. Um, what is da Vinci best known for, James? Um. Probably painting the Mona Lisa, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, most people, I think, probably when they think of Da Vinci, think of his paintings. And the Mona Lisa is the, the most well-known of those. Mm-hmm. But uh, Da Vinci is incredibly fascinating to me in in how broad his areas of expertise were. He yeah he's well most well known for the Mona Lisa and then also for the the painting of the Last Supper, mm-hmm. which we probably all seen, but he is well renowned for civil engineering, chemistry, geology, geometry, hydrodynamics, mathematics, mechanical engineering, optics, physics, pyrotechnics, and zoology. Mm-hmm. Does that sound <laughs> sound like a pretty broad um yeah background <laughs> yeah i believe he would be what's considered what a polymath yeah a polymath mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know a polymath it doesn't mean you learn lots of math although that's what i first thought when i first heard the term a polymath is somebody who 
has a broad scope of knowledge. If you look at the Greek, it means having learned much um, is, is basically a translation of what polymath is. So it's somebody who has a lot of knowledge in different areas. So one of the ones that most of us are probably familiar with is Benjamin Franklin. He was a polymath. He was a writer, scientist, inventor, statesman, diplomat, printer, and philosopher. So he had a very wide array of knowledge. Polymaths aren't as fam- aren't as common these days because as we've learned more and more in science in different areas, it's become much more common for people to be specialists. So not only, you know, Benjamin Franklin knew about all these different areas. He was a writer, a statesman, diplomat, printer, philosopher, but he also studied science. Now people don't just study science as their only thing. They also study biology or microbiology. <laughs> or they just study a certain type of bacteria, and that's all they study. But back in 1700s and 1800s, there were a lot more people who were these polymaths that had very broad scope of knowledge. So that's what a polymath is. He had a lot of inventions that that he's also well known for, and some of them worked, some of them didn't. Some of them uh, would work if you would only add a gear here or uh, fix one thing there. But some of the things that he he had ideas of uh, well ahead of them actually being invented by someone were things like the parachute and helicopter <laughs> and the calculator. In his time, he was just before, like right at the end of the fifteenth. Uh, no, I'm sorry, thirteenth century. Um, and no, I said that backwards. He lived right at the end of the 15th century. And so just before, example, the Reformation, during that time, for example, uh, the the science community was geocentric at still at that point. Could you explain geocentricity, James? Yeah, it means that the universe, basically the entire universe revolves around the Earth. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we, we now know that the Earth goes around the sun, and that's called heliocentrism because helio means sun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, geocentrism means Earth being the center. So da Vinci kept a lot of journals, and that's one way that we we know so much about what he thought and and his ideas and so on. And he didn't talk a whole lot about uh, geocentricity um, explicitly, maybe, but he did in some of his journals mention that the sun does not move and then had some questions about um, if you would stand on the moon and look at the earth, what the earth and the sun would be doing. I think he considered mm-hmm. that the, the earth and the sun were beneath the moon and mm-hmm. the moon was above. So he had some idea of the direction of, of planets, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And, um, one incredible thing was he seemed to understand that the 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 way that light reflected from the sun was a little bit of, maybe a little bit ahead of his time and so he said if you would stand on the moon you would see the earth essentially as a giant moon as well reflecting mm-hmm. light back so that was kind of fascinating yeah you you said you said the sun reflecting the light so i'm assuming you meant the moon reflecting uh, light <laughs> or the earth reflecting yeah, light the moon ref- that's right. The moon reflecting the light of the sun. Yeah, one of my most most uh, 
yeah, one of the things I like about Leonardo da Vinci, or at least the thing that sticks out to me about him, is he wrote in his journals, he was left-handed, and he wrote in, uh, I, I just was looking at the Wikipedia article here, just to confirm that I remembered correctly, but he wrote in a mirror script, which means that it was it was backwards and flipped, which made it difficult to read. But if you would hold up a mirror to his journals and read the reflection, then it would be the correct way, which I think he did it. Supposedly he did it as a way to keep people from reading his journals <laughs> uh, and stealing his ideas. So that's kind of a eccentricity uh, of him as he wrote in a mirror script. Yeah, and Da Vinci had lots of eccentricities. I think, uh, you know, now some hundreds of years later, it's perhaps easy to look back and think, well, this man was incredibly intelligent and look at all we learned. Just to give one more thing before I end my uh, summary and summary <laughs> uh, <laughs> teaser of the Wikipedia article is um, he was well known for painting and for uh, perspective in painting. That was something that was a little bit new or different in his time. We're very used to perspective painting and drawing today. Yeah. But one, he was a teacher also later in life of, of painting and drawing. And he told his students that they needed not to draw merely the body or merely even the muscles, but they needed to draw the sinew that moved the muscles. And so his, his idea was they needed to have an intimate knowledge of the, the subject matter. Mm -hmm. And he took that very seriously and dissected dozens and dozens of human bodies uh, in order to prepare for classes or in order to prepare for um, uh, familiarizing himself with the mechanics of a particular part. Like if he was drawing um, an arm, then he, uh, in one place, I think it was like, 30 or 50 bodies. I forget that he took a part down to the veins and sinew in order to uh, get a good enough idea of how the arm was put together in order to draw it. And so he's also one of the very earliest uh, people who drew anatomy, uh, internal anatomy of the body, even as, as far as the fetus. And so um, that's fascinating but it's also kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think the term I would use is grisly. <laughs> <laughs> right.